So this is that awkward moment where everybody looks up here and goes, who's that guy, right? Uh, it's, been, it's been a minute since I've been up here, and so for those of you who have been around for a little while, my name is uh, Jeff. I used to be the uh, creative arts pastor here. I'm now the executive pastor, which is a fancy title. It means I spend most of my time helping shape the, the kind of the future and the culture at first, and, and I love this church. I mean, this God is doing some amazing things here. There's even things on the horizon that we can't wait to tell you that God has been moving, uh, but I have to confess, I have to start today, I have to confess that there's a problem going on between me and a staff member uh, that happened this week. And, um, you know, I, uh, I came to this terrible realization because of a staff member this week. I, I, for those of you who don't know me, uh, I've been married like 21 years, have a beautiful wife, uh, two beautiful daughters, and um, I came to a realization this week that I'm a dad. Now, I know I'm a dad. I have a 14-year-old daughter. I know I'm a dad, but I didn't know I was a dad. You know what I mean, right? I mean, so I'm sitting here. I mean, I, I, I'm a guy who kind of subscribed to that whole, like, uh, you know, Peter Pan, never grow old, never die kind of thing. I was a student pastor forever and kind of stayed in line with what was going on in the world, so to speak. Uh, I was a worship pastor for a long time, and even though I never wore the skinny jeans, you're welcome, I at least had holes in mine, right? So I felt like I was kind of in the zone there, but Eric, our teaching pastor, who did an awesome job last week, uh, talking to us um, about chapter two, he started to talk about this group that he'd gotten together for this series. And you've heard about them a couple times where they've come with ideas about what we want to talk about and, and just kind of had input, sort of a focus group, if you will. And he asked them, because we're talking about some situations where it has to do with fathers and mothers and submission and family and all those things, he asked them, what are some things that are just kind of stereotypically dad? And so I'm kind of half listening, taking a checklist for me. And he starts going down this list. And this list starts with this transition glasses, right? You know, the ones that like are dark outside and they clear up inside. And then for like a good four minutes, you can't see anything right in between. I don't have those, right? I don't have glasses. I mean, looking at my sheet today, maybe I need some, but I don't yet have any glasses, let alone transition glasses. So no checkbox there. And then he says, jean shorts. I gave up jean shorts like... I don't know, at least 10 years ago, feeling pretty good about myself. I don't do the jean short thing. Then he says, socks and stocks, right? Like Birkenstock sandals. I mean, the, the dad thing, socks with sandals. Look, I don't even own Birkenstocks. I will admit, from time to time at home, socks might sneak into my Adidas slides, but still, not quite exactly what that's saying. Then he says, Nike Air versus New Balance, right? Hey, guys, look, I've got Nike Air on this morning. They're my Carolina version, so they got trounced again last night. It's not great, but they're Nikes, right? Feeling pretty good about myself. And then he starts to go through branding for dads. And he talks about brands like Big Dog, like Old Guys Rule, Tommy Bahama, and I'm going, nope, nope, nope. And then he says, life is good. Oh, oh. I have that shirt in my closet right now. What are you talking about? That shirt was so cool. Like, it was this outdoor lifestyle, and it was all about, like, you know, and I've got, I mean, my, my shirt is, frankly, it's on a work shirt now. It's covered in paint. I don't wear it a lot, but I'm still a little partial to it, and I'm going, man, this is about the, the outdoor lifestyle. I love mountain biking. I love canoeing. I like hiking. How could that be a dad thing, right? It puts forth this persona that is, no matter what's going on in the world, give me a campfire, and I'm good. Life is good, right? I don't know what happened, but I guess all those guys that were cool and wore those bought motorhomes and they're glamping now. I don't know. 
but I was crushed by Eric, and we're going to have to talk this out. But let's talk about this idea, because I think that mindset, as silly as that is, creeps into our Christianese language, right? That when we begin to follow Jesus, we begin to think things like that, that life is always good. And hear me, I believe life is better with Jesus. Life is good with Jesus. There's so much that is just uh, right and better and all those things. But as a Christian, I think we unfortunately associate the good life with the easy life. I mean, you know, this idea that, well, if God is for me, who can be against me? So nothing will ever go wrong. No hard times for me, right? So let's start today by just addressing that head on. Let's address the tension of is life really good as a Christian, like the t-shirt says? Is it simpler? Is it easier to be a Christian? So let's address that false Christian needs because we would say things like if life is good, then God is in this and I am blessed, right? That's kind of the mindset we might have as Christians. And if life is bad, then that means that God has left me or I am cursed. And we have these maybe silly conversations out loud or maybe they're things we think in our heads. What did I do wrong to deserve this sort of thing? And we have to be mindful about our faith. We have to view our faith the right way and understand how God is working in our life. And so that's why our study in 1 Peter has been so helpful for us. We're now in week three of Fully Known. And frankly, this series has hit a lot of us in ways that we didn't expect. It's really uh, deepened our walk with God. It's stirred our faith in these kind of unforeseen ways. And uh, let me remind you kind of where we've been a little bit. We picked the title Fully Known because we wanted us to understand that we have a God who can understand this life. He can understand our lives because he has lived this life, right? He has come to the earth and walked this earth. And that same Savior, Jesus, willingly sacrificed himself so that we can know him. Meaning that the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, his resurrection from the grave given to us out of grace allows us to enter a relationship with him. So it's not just that we are fully known by him, but that we can know our God through Jesus. Eric says it in this tongue twistery kind of way that we are known by Jesus to know Jesus and to make him known. Say that seven times fast, right? But it's true. That's kind of how it plays out. And so we've been using this booklet that you guys hopefully have because, frankly, they went like hotcakes. This is the last one in the free world that I'm aware of. Please do not tackle me afterward to get it. But they are gone. They went like hotcakes. And it has in it sermon notes for use with your groups and kind of writing down what the kind of stuff you hear today that, that hits you and sinks in. Uh, it has a keyword study in it each week. And it has this goals journal to help you walk through what you're learning from the scripture. The printed version is gone, as I said. But if you don't have one, if you've lost yours or whatever, you can get a digital version online at fcc-online.org slash fully known. And in studying this, we've become to recognize this sort of pattern, right? If you've been walking with us, you start to see that when Peter writes this book, he does a certain thing, and he, he calls us to a reality, right? He shows us a reality of what's going on around us, and he's talking to this this leadership of Christianity that's dispersed across an entire land that we now call as Turkey, and he's trying to help them understand, here's the reality of where we are. And then he talks about the implications of where we are, what is going on that, it is, that this reality causes for us, and then he calls us to obedience throughout this book. And so he comes in and he talks about these things like suffering and submission and, and living a holy, set-apart life. 
And we start to realize we can't address such big challenges without recognizing that each of us need to be refined in this process. So coming out of chapter two, it's about submission, right? That's the stuff that Eric talked about last week. And going into chapter three, it becomes about suffering and suffering well. Let's look at this real quick just from a definition standpoint. So submission, so we can keep these separate a little bit, is submission is the mindset we need to follow Jesus well. And suffering is the process by which we are shaped to follow Jesus well. Okay, so when we walk into 1 Peter, you start to see a couple of words in the original context that both get translated as suffering or suffer. And the first one of those is Pasco, and that's the, the version that's in there like 18 plus times, where it talks about this idea that as humanity, suffering is meant to be understood as enduring unpleasant experiences, right? It's suffering as we would know it. But the second one is the way that it talks about Jesus suffering. And it uses the word pathema, which means misfortunate. It's this idea that it was an injustice or misplaced upon him because he was blameless and he endured sin and suffering beyond all of his consequence. And so with all of that as background, knowing where we've walked thus far, let's look at chapter 3. If you have your Bibles with you, turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. It will also be uh, on the screens. You can look it up on your phone in the Bible app. Here's the context of what's happening. Chapter 2 has reminded the followers of Jesus that we don't fit in the normal context of humanity. Our identity reflects the character of Jesus, not the stand, our standing in the world around us. And we had this visual from Eric last week that I loved. It really stuck with me. It was that idea of the lazy river, right? That their friends are all kind of floating this way, and he and his friends always wanted to kind of plow back the opposite direction. And he was still with and among his friends, and at the same time, he was walking a very different path. And that's the kind of thing that is painted for us here. And so Peter confronts our need for submission in a world as this trait we learn from following Jesus. And he talks about areas that are tough to submit, like government, right? How long could we fight about that in this room right now, submitting to our government? What about work? In the context of Peter, sometimes it talks about slaves and masters, but it's also talking about bosses and the people who own the business. Who do we work for and with? And home, marriage relationships, family relationships, there is submission that happens in those settings, and Christ is calling us to something special there. And in these contexts, we understand that submission is actually about followership. I believe that followership is a lost art in our society. Everybody just wants to do their own thing. They don't want to follow anybody's lead. Authority doesn't seem to mean much. It's not our natural posture anymore. And so suffering well in the midst of these relationships becomes this incubator for us to mature before God and man. Let's look at 1 Peter 3, and we're going to start in verse 8. He writes this. Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. That all sounds pretty good, right? I can get on board with that. And then he goes on and says this, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. I'm not liking that so much anymore. That means no payback, right? And then it goes on. And it says, For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who would do evil. 
And this sort of thing isn't just showing up in the writings of Peter. This sort of thing shows up in Philippians 2 when Paul's writing. It shows up in Romans 12. Very similar mindsets when we talk about suffering. And so as we had, remember the focus group we talked about that had that silly dad survey, right? I mean, that focus group was asked, one of the people said, are we asking too much? Like, does Christianity just ask too much? Is this even realistic to ask people to act like this? Because this is a place where many people would just go, I'm out. I can't do that. I mean, I, I'm an American, right? I mean, I have a right to come back and to, to have revenge, to say my piece. And all. It, it doesn't sit well. It doesn't make sense to us. And it gets really complicated because sometimes what we're talking about, what we're dealing with isn't even our own fault, right? So let me, let me draw it up this way a little bit for you. I believe that suffering comes kind of in three different ways. And so we're going to use these buckets to represent that this morning. The first way that we see suffering is because of a fallen world. W's for world this morning, right? It's this idea that we live in a sinful world and because that was broken way back in the day, that things just happen, right? You've heard that, life happens, right? That kind of phrase. That's this bucket. That's how suffering comes in that context. The second one is my mistakes and consequences that come with those. It's because I've made wrong choices, and because of that, I'm now suffering, right? And then the last one is other people's choices. Somebody else did something that's causing me now to suffer, and how do I deal with that exactly? The reality is, this is where Peter's kind of camping out. See what I did there? Life is good camping. Okay, anyway. So it's where Peter's kind of camping out today. And he's causing us to ask these kinds of questions. When you run into suffering, especially this kind right here, how are you going to react? Because people react in all kinds of ways, as we see it all the time. Do you turn against God? Do you say things like, well, that's not the kind of God I want to serve if he's going to allow that, right? Maybe we actually are people who are trying our best. We are Christians. We've been part of the church for 30 years, and yet something big happens, and our natural reaction is to withdraw from the church, to disappear for a few weeks, to leave our group for a few weeks and go, hey, well, let me get this back in order, and we'll come back, and we don't have this chance to be encouraged and loved by those around us. Sometimes we just get stuck on the issue itself. We focus on the problem. Why is this bad thing happening to me? How dare this happen to me? And we get stuck there. And so Peter is asking us to think in a little bit of a different way. What if instead we begin to ask things like, what might God do through me in this moment? How might I best respond to this suffering? Man, that's not easy. I mean, I think everybody in this room would admit that we all need to be refined a bit, right? Like, none of us are perfect. The Bible tells us that. A couple of us in this room think we are, but let me just, news for you, we're not. Okay, so... We all need to be refined. Do you understand what refined means? I mean, think about even in the industrial world, right? When you say you have refined sugar that you probably stuck in your coffee this morning or whatever, that means that it was boiled intensely for a long time in order to get the impurities out. It's not a fun process for that poor sugar, right? Or when you have steel in a refinery, they are molting that down into this hot lava of steel through intense heat. The refining process is painful. I mean, even in the silly world of nerds like me who go to Marvel movies and Star Wars movies and we look at 
got superheroes or characters that are being raised to the next level. They're being refined. They're having impurities removed. It's always like some injection or some process, and they're screaming, and it's painful, right? Even the comic book world gets this. Refining is not always, or frankly, I would say it is rarely fun. And so that's why Paul, writing in Romans 8, says this, I consider that our present sufferings are not even worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us through those. He's saying, yeah, that suffering is terrible. It's something we don't want to go through, but imagine what's on the other side. And so Peter gives us this antidote to the troubles that are coming our way. It's how to suffer well in the midst of the uneasy Christian life. And not to get stuck in the suffering, but let our submission to Jesus actually lead us to the suffering. He goes on in verse 13 and says this. Who's going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who would speak maliciously against you or good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. And so Peter is writing to get us to begin thinking about how do I respond to suffering? You start by doing good to them and to others. You respect God's will for your life over the fear of suffering. And you be prepared to share the reason for your life. Can I just say something real quickly here aside? The, the scripture often was used to this idea that this is the reason we've got to take an apologetics class in Bible college and that we've got to know every little piece of the Bible. And there is absolutely nothing wrong with that. Apologetics is amazing. One of my favorite classes I ever took. But you don't have to be an amazing Bible scholar to do that to share the reason for your faith, to share your story, to be prepared and say, look, I'm different, and here's why I'm different. You've got to live your life for God over self, knowing that Jesus died for you. And so here's what Peter's suggesting. Remember, there's two words for suffering being used here. There's the one that's for the hard times that we endure, and the other's for the misfortunate journey that Jesus endured, Jesus, or Peter, excuse me, is saying that if you want to flip the script on our suffering or our hardships, do it in such a way that Jesus is seen in those moments. In doing good, like Jesus, your suffering will become more about just a time to build character, but it will shine a light on the misfortunate one himself, Jesus. And then Peter jumps into a few verses in this chapter that, frankly, are super controversial. They've been argued by scholars for years of the exact meaning. It's, it's where they talk about Jesus plunging into death and raising victorious over sin and death, and it references the days of Noah, and it talks about this baptism and how it relates to that. And I, frankly, that's probably a series and beyond in itself. We could study that forever. We could wrestle with that forever. But there's something that's very apparent in that scripture that I want to talk about today in that section, and that is that baptism is related to 
is a part of suffering. It symbolizes what we should be doing in suffering. Now, if you've been around the Christian church or this church very long, you'll know that often we would say something like, baptism is the dying to your old self and being raised again to your new self, right? And we believe that wholeheartedly. It's a symbol of that moment when you decide to put your old self away. You begin to become new. I still love the story. The first senior pastor I ever served under happened to be working with uh, kind of an Asian community at the Purdue University campus house way back in the day, and they'd had an amazing service, and one a girl from... uh, China, I believe, spoke decent English, but a little broken, and there was a miscommunication. And as she walked out, she'd made the decision to be baptized. As they walked out towards the tank, she pulled on Roger's ear, and she said, how long will I be dead? Think about that. It's funny at first, but think about the faith that came in that moment. And so we believe, not that you will die, so any of you who are planning on March 1st, don't panic but that you do die to yourself. But it's interesting because in this scripture, Peter paints that picture just a little bit different of something else that you're doing. It's this idea of plunging ourselves into Jesus. The pledge of a clean conscience is what this scripture says. The picture of baptism that Peter draws is a pledge, a commitment to a clean conscience. And think about it. What are we pledging our lives to? To begin our refinement process. Just so you know, baptism is not the end of anything. It's only the beginning. And it's the pledge of a clean conscience, a pledge to begin our refinement process, to suffer differently. And something that we take super seriously here at first. And in a few weeks, March 1st, there's going to be a big tank in the middle of the room. If you come to first service, the water's warmer. I'm just letting you know. But second service, it's just as much fun. We celebrate, we worship. It's an amazing day of celebrating people who have said, yes, my old life is dying, my new life is coming. We're celebrating the saving grace of Jesus because that's what saves it. It's not no fancy water, but it's the symbol of Jesus saving grace that comes and we celebrate all that stuff, but you will see in that moment not just the forgiveness of sins, not just the saving power of Jesus, but people who are pledging their conscience to joy, join in the way of Jesus, which includes in his suffering. Now, hear me, I don't want you to think what you're saying is, please give me more suffering, please give me more suffering. It's not about that at all. But what it's saying is when suffering comes, and it will, that I will do so for Jesus. That I will try to do it in the way that Jesus would do it. Because we recognize that in Christ's sufferings, we've received a new life. We receive a new will. Jesus, by the way, doesn't expect us to walk it alone either. You know, I said earlier that Jesus We are fully known because he has walked this earth before. He knows what we're going through. But guess what? He offers to walk it right now beside us. That's the beauty of this moment. And so on March 1st, on Baptism Sunday, in all of our locations, first service, second service, Urbana-Champaign, all of that, we'll be celebrating that moment together where people are celebrating new life. And they're celebrating a clean conscience and a commitment to suffering like Jesus would suffer. Let's look at 1 Peter 4 as we move on. Peter says it this way, Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. And as a result, they do not live 
the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. Here's what Peter's calling his followers, or more importantly, Jesus' followers to, that if we encounter authority in our lives, that we should submit as Jesus would. And if we endure suffering, and we will, that we would suffer the way that Jesus would. We must embrace the attitude of Jesus to be done with sin and live out the will of God. And here's the thing. This is so countercultural. It's not the norm of how we live. Even as followers of Jesus, we often bank on the grace of Jesus rather than surrendering in obedience. And there's some of both. This is so unusual. But here's what you need to understand as we study this scripture written by Peter is this. We're called to be unusual people, right? I know, I know, it's so weird to think, like, what would it, what's it going to look like if we're being joyful, if we're praising the Lord in the midst of trials, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of hardship? It's just weird. What if, what if you know, we're forgiving others for wrong and not holding a grudge against them? That's so weird, but we're, this is what Peter's calling us to in this passage. So as we think through these buckets we talked about earlier, what does that look like? What does that look like when a fallen world has caused just a phone call that one of your close relatives, a family member, has been given just months to live? How do we suffer through that? How do we act through that? Do we disown God because we're angry? Do we walk hand in hand with him as we walk forward? What about when your own consequences come back to haunt you? How are we going to handle that? Are we going to continue to fight and try to make ourselves look good? Are we going to own it and are we going to to act in love? Or what about maybe the hardest when what happens when somebody has wronged you? I can think of tons of times when somebody's wronged me and I get so fired up that my response ends up being worse than the original wrong in the first place. It's not what God's calling us to. It's not what Peter's calling us to in this scripture. And I know some of you are sitting there and asking, why, Jeff? Why are we, I mean, that's what we get a lot as a pastor. That's what we get a lot as Christians is, why would God even allow this stuff, right? Why doesn't he just protect us? Why does there have to be suffering? And I believe when we're studying Peter's text here, it brings us to this conclusion. That we are fully known so that suffering may refine us. Suffering and submission go hand in hand. This is how we see and experience God most deeply. Submission is our mindset. It's kind of our perspective of how we approach these things. And suffering is our process or our refinement. If we desire a refined faith that's more precious than gold or silver, if we desire a refined faith that lasts beyond the moment and through to eternity, then may we become a people, a people submitted to the way of Jesus, and may we suffer well. I want you to know that our example always matters. The world is always watching. What happens if, as a church, when suffering hits, We didn't lose faith. We didn't squabble or fight or point fingers. What if we rallied around each other? What if we loved through the suffering? Imagine those who have no faith in God and how are they going to react as they see us suffer? I believe they're going to be drawn to Jesus. 
people are watching us, whether it's your family, your friends, your coworkers, your kids. And so with that in mind, I want you to know as we close today that we can have confidence in how we suffer because of our confidence in Christ's suffering. Let's move to a time of response. I guess it's time to let you in on a little secret. There's a fourth bucket. And I know some of you guys are going, oh, great, Jeff, that's just what I need. I got plenty in the other three buckets. I'm suffering. My life is not good right now. I don't need another bucket to talk about, right? I mean, why are you keeping more of that stuff on there? But this bucket's actually a little different. You see, if you start to do those first three things well or better, maybe is the better way to put it, this bucket's going to start showing up. It's suffering for your faith, suffering for Christ, suffering for, in this case, G for God. And it's different. It's because people will begin to see something different in you. And maybe that suffering becomes far less of this feeling of a, of a punishment, of a recourse, of a consequence. And instead, it will become a confirmation you're finally starting to do something that points to Jesus, that's about Jesus himself. And it's gonna start showing up. It's a confirmation not of punishment or consequences, but of a heart after Christ. That's why James can write in his letter these amazing and frankly weird words that say, consider it pure joy, my brothers, sisters when you face trials of many kinds. You find joy in suffering. Are you serious, Jeff? How do you find joy in suffering? Because it raises the name of Christ Jesus on high if we do it the way he's asked us. When suffering actually becomes a confirmation of your heart, when it actually begins to be because of the name of Christ, when we're starting to get it right. Let me close with this. There's a couple different kind of people in the room that I want to talk to today. Maybe you're someone who, um, you just really know somebody that's suffering. Your heart is breaking for them. They're going through stuff there's no way they can handle the weight of. And you just, you want to help. Let me challenge you today, then, then do it. Today's maybe the day that you have to reach out. You maybe ask the question, hey, how can I help you? What can we do for you? How can we walk with you through this suffering? Not push you aside until things are fine, but man, how can we lean in? Not force you to do it the way I would do it, but how do we lean in and walk with you in your suffering? And maybe you need to start that process for somebody today, showing them that love. Maybe, excuse me, maybe you're in this room right now and you're one of the people who's suffering. You're carrying a weight that you absolutely cannot carry alone. You may have had crazy thoughts you never even thought you would ever have. You've been angry at God, pounding the table, saying, why on earth would you let this happen to me? I can't do this alone. You're right. You can't. And that's why God has given us the people sitting around you right now more importantly, Jesus himself. 
I want to say this. I actually do believe that when you follow Christ, life is good. Whether I got the t-shirt or not. But good doesn't mean easy. Good means that Jesus has promised us to walk with us every single step of the way. Through it all. Let's pray. Father, you deserve far more than we could ever give, but we try our best. We come in and we start with amazing worship and we sing songs in our car and we are ecstatic in these joyous times. But Father, how hard is that to do the same for us? How hard is it for us to worship daily in the suffering? Father, we don't always understand this and we are asking you to teach us. And I'm not asking for more suffering. Please hear that, God. But I'm asking you that when it hits, Father, walk so closely with us that we cannot help but know your next step. Let us be more like you. Let us do things that will point people to your name, that will raise the name of the misfortunate one instead of our own. Father, we ask this this morning as we continue to worship. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Guys, if you've been here for a while, you know what's about to happen. But if you're not, let me, if you've not been here before, let me help you through this moment. We're going to do something that we call response time here. Um, and it, it, it's a little weird if it's your first time because people are just going to get up and they're going to start walking around. They're going to start doing stuff. So let me explain what's going on. One of the first things that people are going to be doing is when you see these little candles around the room at these tables, these are tables that have communion on them. And if you don't know what communion is, it's a little piece of bread and a little cup of juice that represent Jesus' body that was broken for us and his blood that was spilled for us as he suffered on the cross, the misfortunate one. And he paid the price so that we could come to him and be fully known. And we celebrate that each week. We remember the suffering he went through and we celebrate the victory as he was risen from the dead. And so we invite you, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ and all that he's done, that's for you this morning. Some folks, frankly, have walked through today and all they got is questions. They got more questions to ask. And maybe they need to write that down on that little connect card that's in front of them. Maybe they've been inspired that, hey, I want to be in that on that baptism Sunday on March 1st. Please, I'm all in. Let's do this. Maybe they have prayer requests. Man, this is someone who's really suffering or I'm really suffering and I need prayer. Our staff prays over those every single week. Maybe you just need to write that on there and then you can take it to the four boxes in the corners of the room. And put those in there and we'll follow up with you. Also, that's where a lot of people choose to worship through their tithes and their offerings to be generous. You can do that with the Give app, G-Y-V-E. It's another way to worship and give back to God through what he's given to us. But maybe today, the last one is the one that you need to think most about. It's these prayer benches up front. And I'll be honest with you, uh, Aaron and I built these almost three years. I mean, we're approaching three years now, I don't know, ago. I'm a little embarrassed by them, the craftsmanship. We put them together quickly for a series called Behind the, Behind the Worship, I believe we called it. And they're falling apart. They're cracking. There's little busted corners, and some of them are all warped, and they're janky looking. But then I sat and I thought about it. A worn prayer bench is a good prayer bench. 
And I want to invite you this morning that maybe you're that person who needs to be a prayer warrior. Maybe that's the best thing God's calling you to do for those who are suffering around you, that you need to get on your knees and go before God and pray for them wholeheartedly or pray for wisdom and how you can reach out to them. This is your place this morning. This isn't some contrived thing where we've got guys counting numbers and making sure we've got the exact amount we need in the prayer. This is a place for you to sit with God and to do business with God. And maybe you're one of those people who are suffering yourself. You're saying, I need to lay this at the feet of Jesus. I need to come and I need to bend a knee and I need to lay this at his feet. And when I get up and walk away, I don't pick it back up and I don't carry it with me. That's what this morning is about.